This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. Welcome back into the Door Report, episode 242 on a colder but still lovely Monday, October 9th, 2023. I'm Will Byram, joined as always by my co-host Trevor Hewlin, and we have a very special guest joining us today for episode 242, former Vanderbilt offensive lineman Blake Fromang. Played for the Commodores from 2012 to 2015, was an offensive lineman and tight end. Played all 12 games at right tackle in 2015, starting seven, 20 pancake blocks on that season. You don't, you don't seem like a guy that toots your own horn, but I'll, I'll toot it for you there. Uh, 2014 and 2015 SEC academic honor roll, Stetson Law alum, currently practicing as an attorney. Blake, thanks for taking the time with us and joining. How are you feeling right now? I'm just the grits through the roof right now. I'm I'm pumped, been pumped all week since I found out I was coming on this podcast. So vibes all time high right now. Let's get gritty, boys. I love it. I love it. The vibes are simultaneously at an all time high and an all time low. We have a locked and loaded beefy episode (laughs) 242. The Florida recap and really more than a Florida recap, kind of a state of the program with Blake here. I think everybody's sick and tired of hearing me and Trevor just give our takes and same opinions week in week out about this team so something about the turnovers every week hey what's your key takeaway number one gotta clean up the turnovers so we've got the florida (laughs) recap we've got our three key takeaways uh we'll also get a briefly very briefly into the georgia preview me and trevor's three keys to the game and me and trevor's predictions but blake before we get into the breaking news and kind of get into some questions from Twitter and the Florida game and, and the issues on this Vanderbilt football team, I was falsely accused by you of attending a bachelor party. Allegedly. You're allegedly falsely accused. <laughs> yes. Allegedly falsely. Allegedly, allegedly. falsely. <laughs> Can't you confirm did pro- sources. You did provide fake news, disinformation, misinformation on the internet. <laughs> Of a digitally altered photograph of me attending a bachelor party in Vegas. It looked real to me. I'm getting close. I'm getting close to hiring lawyers for this situation and these heinous false accusations you're threatening upon me. Is TDR about to get in a lawsuit? TDR might not have the funds for that. Blake, what do you you have to say for yourself We would need a public defender. Just go ahead and do it. I stand by my alleged comments. You know, the photo speaks for itself. I did not take five minutes out of my day and put that together it's all real you know we got vandy fans everywhere checking on the pod seeing what you're doing and i can't 
you know, ever since that weekend, it's kind of gone downhill. So oh, I don't know. Do all signs point to you? You guys want to talk about the coaches and everybody, but who went on the bachelor party? <laughs> Correlation, causation. You're smart. There it is. Why'd you have a wedding <laughs> band on in the photo? More heinous false. Act. Wrong. <laughs> wrong. 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 I'm just going to pull Trump the rest of these accusations and just say wrong. Even if it's right, I'm just going to say wrong. It's a false wrong. flag. False. <laughs> Blake. Same real I did, to me. I did. I did. It looks real. It does. It, it looks very real. It is real. Did I just. You just. I plead the fifth. You just I, implicated yourself. He's pleading the fifth. Hey, Trevor's pleading the fifth. Yeah. He, as, as That's the end of the inquiry. That's the end of the inquiry. I go. object. I'm going to hire Ask Blake as lawyer. my lawyer to defend <laughs> me from Blake's own accusations. <laughs> I think that's the TDR vibe. It's the TDR experience at this point. Blake, we're going to win. TDR's Johnny Cochran. <laughs> All right. We have a lot more to get into. This should be a hell of an episode. We're trying for the first time to have a full episode with Blake joining virtually through StreamYard. So there's a tiny bit of a delay. So we're going to try not to talk over Blake too much, allow Blake to speak his mind and really get into the X's and O's of this team as a former player here. But before we get into all that and much more, we have to shout out Corey Perkins of Parks Realty, the sponsor of TDR here. If you are a first time home buyer or looking to move homes in the Nashville area, Corey Perkins is your man. You can reach out to Corey via phone call or text at 615 967 8623, or you can send Corey an email at Corey Perkins at Realtracks.com. Realtracks spelled R E A L T R A C S.com. And we're about to get into breaking news here, but don't, but before we do that, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Door Report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. And if you do leave us a five-star review, hell, you might be on the next episode of TDR. So Blake, <laughs> here we are, but it's now time for breaking news. Before history is written, it's played before it's frozen in time. It's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, Blake. All right, Trevor. You ready to get into this Florida recap? The doors fall in a disappointing performance. 38 to 14, five straight losses for the Commodores, moving them to 2-5 and five on the season, 0-3 in conference. Undoubtedly a disappointing performance thus far, a disappointing season overall so far for pretty much every Vanderbilt fan. Even, even the haters within the Vanderbilt fan base I don't think saw the season going as poorly as it's gone so far, but 
Blake, I'm going to swing it to you first because I think that, you know, I think everyone knows how me and Trevor feel about what we've seen so far. But but how are you feeling just overall about what you've seen on the field? And then we'll get into some questions first uh, that we have some from some TDR listeners. Uh, yeah, uh, honestly, it's like the halftime speech from every given Sunday. We're a yard short or an inch too short. It's just it's one thing every single play that's stopping us from executing. And I know a lot of these comments get into the offensive line play, but if you watch it, you need five guys doing everything right. Really the whole offense doing everything right. Defense, you can get away with a guy busting a coverage or blowing an assignment. If not, everyone's doing everything right on offense, it's going to fail. And we're just, you know, we don't have the guys right now to make up for it. So it's just watching that over and over and over. And, like I tweeted, I do not understand the Ken Seals replay on third and seven. I don't get it. Makes no sense to me. Yeah. Makes and I love Ken. No I and, love and, Ken. And before, but before we get into more questions, I, I just want to ask you, and this might be a question. I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't preview this. What, if you could sum up into like a statement or a couple of statements, what are you seeing from the offensive line as a whole right now? Uh, it's just what I said. It's one. It's not the same person every time. It's the footwork's a little sloppy on one play, and someone gets through, or there's a missed communication, or someone doesn't get out of the stance quick enough on silent count. It's not one guy who's just ruining it for everybody. It's just one little thing every play. And the problem is, is when you're going against these SEC players, which I'll tell you, they're freaks. When you're on the field with them, it's you're like, where did you come from? But that's who you're playing. And when that's who you're playing, and you make a mistake. They're going to capitalize on it every single time. I mean, I'm going to say it from the stands. I have the same perspective as well. And I've only been on the field for one game prior to the Vanderbilt Georgia game. I think it was in 2019 and saw some of the, those guys in person. And I'm six foot a buck 70, but I do not envy anyone that has to go up, go up against them on the offensive line. So Blake, we've got some questions. Most of it is about offensive line. Shock. Okay. But uh, first up, A1 Day 1, Justin Kemp, dog. Absolutely. Trevor. Justin asks, the beef on the line is the best it's ever been, but could Vanderbilt ever come up with a scheme that would be unique and hard to game plan for? In the SEC, you can't go lighter and faster, but something unique. That's, a, that's the million-dollar question right there, Blake. You have any ideas? Hmm. That's a good question. I do want to say there are some beefy boys up there. We're body positive here, so that's all muscle, no fat. No fat. But no fat on that offensive line. To address the comment of what can they that what they can do, um, I'm gonna take it back to my days with Franklin. You know, when we had our offensive line was really good. Every single one of those guys was incredible. But when you're going against talent and you got three fifty and then you know inside and you got freaks of nature's my height and run a four six on the outside you got to get the ball out so i'd say well it makes sense to me is if they go back to what worked for us and just get will shepherd out on a key screen and have someone block for him just just space it out if the o-line is, is struggling to get it done just make it our best two athletes against their best two athletes and that's a bread and butter play and then from there, you know, the defense will move out because they got to stop that from happening, get the men out of the box. And then that opens up the run game and everything else. So going into the Franklin era, 
you know, I, I was in high school at the time. Uh, so a lot of my nostalgic memories might be a little too positive and too simplistic. I played a little bit of high school football. I was nowhere near even an FCS or D3 football player. What is so complicated about, you know, consistently we saw in the Franklin era getting the ball to J-Matt on the outside on these wide receiver screens and one-on-one situations, getting the ball to Chris Boyd, getting the ball to Jonathan Krause. What, from a former player's perspective, is preventing this team from doing that right now? I don't know. Um, I've watched it, and it kind of seems like just inside runs and then throw it deep to to Will Shepard and see what happens there. But um, honestly, it's get Jade McGowan, Will Shepard, put Quincy Skinner, someone out. I mean, we have so many playmakers. Just throw them the ball and put Logan Kyle or someone. We need a gritty blocker. That's what we need. Yeah. Just all grit. Doesn't have to be the most athletic guy on the team. Jonathan Krause actually was responsible for Jordan Matthew, you should love Jonathan Krauss. I love Jonathan Krauss. That man laid the dirtiest cut blocks. He blocked everybody as hard as he could every single play. So shout out him. Jordan Matthew's also a freak. He's not getting those yards without being a freak. But I don't know. The answer is I don't know. That seems like such an easy adjustment. Then you get Swan in rhythm, throwing easy passes. He gets confident. Oh, look, 15 yards. Defense changes, run the ball. It makes it easier on everybody. So I don't know. I mean, they get paid the big bucks. I'm just a, a lowly attorney trying to argue against adults every day and get paid for it. So <laughs> That's pretty much all I do yeah. over here. But, no, I was a huge Jonathan Krause fan. Trevor, I know, has a follow-up to that. But yep. on, an, on NCAA 14, the final game that was made, I would always, in the first year, Jordan Matthews would win the Heisman. Doesn't matter. I would, get, <laughs> I would put up stats with him. And the next year, because of his gritty blocking that I would watch on the field, Jonathan Krause would win the Heisman simply because he served it. Yeah, he was doing the dirty work on the outside. Watch all the old tape and just watch Jonathan Krause. He is the unsung hero of that group. He's and, and we had Austin Carter Samuels at quarterback too. That side J Rods the first year. Austin Carter Samuels could throw the ball, but like he can't run. But we still made it work. We won games doing that. And it's easy. Takes the whole defensive line out of the game. You you know, we constantly say that, and I'm glad to have some validation here, yeah, and we're not just dumb, unath- yeah. inathletic fans as we're constantly accused of being. So <laughs> I'm glad we can get some uh, get some validation on that point. Blake, I got a follow-up to uh, to your point about, or Justin's point, really, about the size of the offensive line. But first, while we're on the jo- uh, Jonathan Krause, um, in honor of the Georgia game coming up, Jonathan Krause putting his body on the line, going across the middle, taking that huge, huge targeting play against Georgia to set Vanderbilt up for, uh, for a, I think it was a Jaron Seymour touchdown. Um, it was like fourth Dark. down or something like that, and he got absolutely cracked over the middle. The more it, was an, it was an ambulance pass, but he, man, he took that, and it, it won Vanderbilt the game. The more we're talking about Jonathan Kraus, the more I miss him. Right, I now. miss, I miss a lot of those guys, dude. Oh my goodness, he was a freak. He was just a, he was an athlete too, but he just yeah. was like, I'm gonna go get this block every time. He didn't miss. Those are the gritty players that I think build those teams and the success that we saw from Franklin that. Mm-hmm. We have not seen outside of the Franklin years, the, the teams you were a part of in the last 60 years. Not exaggerating. No, yeah, literally. I mean, and, seriously. Yeah. And so, Blake, I've got a follow-up question, particularly on the size of the offensive line. So before the season started, and I imagine it, the this stat still holds true, um, Vanderbilt had a top five heaviest line in college football. Uh, now, obviously, traditionally, you want your offensive line to be big. You want your offensive line to be physical. I think that's probably going to be the case until the end of time. 
Is it possible for some for an offensive line to be too big towards it's hard for them to get out of their stance? They lack mobility, or is it simply with those interior guys? You want them to be as big as possible. That's a great question. I can tell you from personal experience, I came in at like 260, 270. And when I got up, my fattest day was 318. And I had to look, I had a long, hard look in the mirror that day. Mm-hmm. Personal thing, but yeah, <laughs> it's harder. To, it's, it's harder to get, it's real. It's a lot harder to get out of your stance. It's harder to stay in shape, honestly, but it, it depends on what offense you're running. If you're running the downhill pro style, when your guys got to go straight, fine. But when you're running, you know, RPO second level stuff and you need athletes, you can't, it's tough when you're that big to be able to move your feet, especially with these, you know, linebackers are better than they've ever been, mm-hmm. you know, getting your hands on them. We look so stupid on TV. Like, for example, if you watch offensive linemen go out on screen plays and try to take out a defensive back, sometimes it works, but sometimes they shake you and you look just like, the, you look so unathletic and fat <laughs> and you just fall on the ground. You're like, oh my God, I have to watch this on film tomorrow. <laughs> so it's the scheme. I mean, it, it really is. If you're just running downhill football, yeah, you want a big line. But if you're like, we got to get out in space and block people, like I, I think that's what we're trying to do with the RPO. When you're like sec- second level, we got to get hands on guys. You got to have people who can move their feet. And it's tougher when you're bigger. Yeah. You know, a, a little For bit of a follow up. A little bit of a follow up there, Blake. You talked about your heaviest time. Uh, before we get into the next question from George Barkley here, what was your 40 time in college? Just out of curiosity. I'd say five, one or five, two. Oh, holy. That's really here. Fast, here's actually. the, here's the, here's the part I want to express to everyone listening out there. People hear five, one or five, two, and don't think that's fast because they're so used to like the NFL combine. Mm-hmm. I remember running my first 40 yard dash. They made us run them in high school. And I was like this height, six foot, a buck 40. And I ran like a six, two. And I thought I was moving. So like, and that was not laser time, buddy. Like, I mean, I felt so proud when I cracked a six. Oh, like that's, that's the different level. And you were moving at that at close to 300 pounds, I'm assuming. So that's, that's a scary thing to think. Yeah, about, yeah, it was, it's a little different yeah. than a buck 40 running a six. Oh, I'll say that. But with that being said, Blake, you said you got to 318. Will is trying to bulk right now. Do you have any bulking <laughs> tips for him? Uh, I do. I'm um, in a perma bulk personally. I've been in a bulk for the last four years. Like that's the thing. <laughs> like that's the that's the part. I'll tell you what got us the fattest. So jokes, Barrett, I call him Googer, it's Gagger, but for he's Googer. So jokes, <laughs> Googer and I. We came in and we weren't SEC playing weight quite yet. And the secret recipe is those Wendy's double cheeseburgers late at night. You get two of those bad boys, just raise the cholesterol a little bit before bed, get the heart pumping, all the saturated fats, but it stays. Here's You'll feel horrible about yourself, but if you're trying to put on some mass, get the late night Wendy's double cheese. Mass moves See, mass. The good thing is I already constantly feel bad about myself just in general. <laughs> so that's not a problem. It can get worse. I can play. If you do that, you you'll go to a bad place. The Wendy's hole is tough to climb out of. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We We're found our clip. We found our clip. <laughs> the Wendy's hole is hard to climb out of. Heard that, brother. It's value though. It's value price. So, so uh, I, w- I did say we were going to George Barclay next. Uh, I know the initial question from Justin was about a scheme that Vanderbilt could eventually. Key find. screens. Key screens. Run a key screen. Open everything else up. 
Beautiful. That's my answer. There we go. But George's question is this season, what can Vanderbilt's offensive line do in this scheme from a scheme standpoint to generate more of a run game for the remainder of this season? I mean, I've heard nothing but good things about the offensive line coach. So I don't, I don't really know what more he can do to coach them. They just got to execute. I'm sorry. I don't have the secret sauce for the answer. They just got to, they got to just communicate and get their feet in the ground. As soon as the ball snapped and executed, it's, I can't tell you more. If I had that secret, I'd, I'd be an NFL offensive line coach. I don't know. Uh, so on the on the uh, topic of Gouger, uh, Gallagher, Gouger. Right there, when are they going to retire his, his jersey, asked Mike's meat stand. Do you, do you guys remember Barrett Gouger? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Great head of hair. Never knew how to pronounce his name properly, but I it's love it. It's the pride of Sonny Daisy, our sweet prince. <laughs> yes, they they should absolutely retire his number. I love that guy. He is he's everything Vanderbilt should be about. He's got the Sandy Daisy country accent, just home cooking, good guy. He is he's great. Like honestly, if you had a poster boy for this show other than you, Trevor, because you're the unofficial spokesman, Gouger should be get him on next. Ooh. You won't get a grittier. You he won't. He'll be too gritty for you. He might be. Okay. He would he would he would break the record. There we go. Break the break grit the record. record. He's electric. Honestly, he's electric. Okay. We might have to do that next. We we might have to run through like all former Vanderbilt offensive line. I was a just Joe get Townsend as many man as we myself. Can. Joe Townsend, he's electric too. I was Henderson a Joe Townsend man myself. Henderson, that's where I'm not, yep. Hendersonville High School, baby, go commandos. I went to Heritage, but Taylor Swift's alum. Jet Taylor Swift alum. Yeah. Uh from Joseph West, day one A one dog. Oh, uh, oh, there we go. You're better. Dog. Dog. <laughs> All right. He asks, and you can answer this however you would like to. What percentage of blame do you think falls on the coaches versus on the players right now? And you, know, you can I do offense. Offense. Sorry. Offense. We'll do. He didn't add this, but we can do offensive line first, and then I guess just overall as a team second. Um, I'd say offensive lines probably more on the players. Are we talking about the coaching staff in general, like Joey Lynch and the play callers or Blazek? Uh first we'll just first we'll just do the offensive line and Blaze, kind of what you're seeing, and then Okay. Then we'll go more generally the team. So first off, just you know, the offensive line and coach Blazek. I like I said, I can't I don't know how to comment on him other than I've heard good things, but the offensive line just has to execute. I don't really know how to assign fault to a coach that I haven't watched him in practice. I told, you know, I said I'd give direct answers, but I can't just talk out of the side of my neck. I don't know. Yeah. Like the execution needs to be better. I can't get, I'd give you more if I could. That's, that's what I can say. All right. Now we'll expand it out to the whole team. Joey Lynch, Nick Howell, play calling offense and defense. Just what you're seeing. How much would you put it if you were sitting in that locker room? I know you're not right now, but if you were, how much would you put this kind of on the coaches versus the players just being like, we've got to play better? Yeah, I thought about this one on the ride home. So this was a good question. Um, I'll break it down like this. I think it's 60-40 coaches players because going into the game, the coaches got to put you in a position to win, call the right plays, everything like that. From what we've seen, it hasn't, it hasn't worked. I mean, I don't think there's any way other than to say it's not working. So then you look at the players and say, are they doing everything they're coached to do to win? Like I said, there's little things here and there. I can't even – tell you about the defense. I have no idea what coverages are and all that. I'm just a simple man who played offensive line and blocked people in a cheeseburger. 
<laughs> so we'll keep it there, but they're, they're, it doesn't look like they're executing. It's one little thing every play that we're just getting capitalized on. In the last 20%, I'm going to put back on the coaches because it's, you know, you see what we're doing isn't working and you don't need to wholesale the RPO or the defense, but you got to try something. It's, uh -huh. it kind of seems like they're just coming out and saying at some point this will work, okay. but we're this far into the season. And I don't it's know. It's working in practice, but we're yeah. seven games into the season. It's, uh -huh. it's not working on game day for whatever reason. It is. And it's like small tweaks like defense. Obviously we're having trouble getting the quarterback before, Maybe run a twist game inside, throw some. CJ Taylor's electric off the edge. I mean, he's hitting the heck out of the quarterback every single time he's in there. I don't know. I mean, we got nothing to lose at this point. Mix it up. And with offense, just honestly, my focus is more on offense. Just find three plays that work every single time and build around it. Like, oh, we run behind Gunnar Hansen, three and a half, four yards guaranteed. All right, that's a staple play. Key screen, staple play. And then just build everything up off of it because the defense has to react and when you get them to react you can get a step ahead of them because you know how they're going to they're already thinking you're going to do these bread and butter plays mm -hmm. so that's that's kind of where I'm, I'm in a 60 40 that was yeah. that was one of my old old school high school coaches that didn't believe in concussions favorite things to say was defense is reactionary <laughs> <laughs> that's why i'm as dumb as i am now is he didn't believe in those darn things just but brain just rattle yeah, around just rattling around my head i actually got my worst concussion in basketball which is i got knocked unconscious Ooh, that was a rough one blake i got a i got a follow-up question i guess it's for all of us about the offensive line um i have I've, on this podcast i have been a uh a self-pronounced gunner hansen stan i i don't think uh, then again the unnecessary roughness penalties they bother me um, but there is a part of me that I'm like, you know what, dude, I want to do this got a little bit of like venom in him. So I'm kind of cool with that. Um, and the procedural penalty. So I guess I have two questions. One in particular about Gunnar Hansen. Um, what do you see in him in particular? Is there something about his game you like? Um, and then a follow-up question. Um, and I can ask this later too. On the previous pod I asked, I was like, uh, I was like Bruno Blake, somebody, Tell me why there are so many pre-snap procedural penalties because I didn't know. And you actually DM me a great answer. So you could just kind of speak on Gunnar Hansen and what you see in him. Um, and then we'll go back to the procedural penalties and how that actually is a much more complicated answer than just simply knowing a snap count. Absolutely. So with Gunnar Hansen, I'm not going to tell you I've sat and watched all 22 from every single game. But when I've keyed in and I watched him, I like his footwork. Um He's young. I like his confidence. Getting out there, I'll tell you, when I went out there the first time, I was like, holy hell, <laughs> this is real. But his ability to just get out there and play, and yeah, he's got a couple things here and there that comes with it. No one's going to get through a season without penalties. Sure, he can clean it up fine, but I don't I don't look at him and blame him for, for much here. I, I think he's good. I think he's got next-level talent if he keeps doing the right things. Here we go. What do you think, Phoebe? You asked. You asked if Phoebe was real before we started. His, before we Will's started, mind. now she's interrupting you, trying to destroy our equipment. Jeez. Yeah. And then uh, to answer your other question about the pre-snap penalties, I'm I'm so happy you asked me this because I think it's so easy as an offensive lineman. Basically, you only get recognized when you mess up, and to dissect it a little bit and understand what's going on, this will help. And I'll give you like an example of what is going on. You know, say we're 
I hate Tennessee. We're not playing Tennessee in this example. Uh, <laughs> Screw those guys. Yeah, they no. I don't know Kentucky, for example, right? And you got Josh Allen out there, and it's third and long, and the stadium's so loud you can't hear anything. And you're lined up two people. You know, you're lined up away from the center. You're not the guard who has him right here. Mm-hmm. So when you're getting in your stance because you, you, the offense operates on silent count. So you'll see the center duck his head down and bring it up, or you'll see a guard put his hand out or bring it back. There's some sort of movement that triggers it. And every single one of the five offensive linemen has to keep that, has to keep that in their vision. As a tackle, it's tough because you have to look out at this freak of nature, nine technique, Josh Allen ready to ruin your quarterback's day and put you on national TV as a horrible offensive lineman. But you also have to keep the centers right here. So everyone's jumping on Jawan Taylor and stuff. Why are you so far back on the line? It's because he needs to see everything going on and he's got a freak out there. So when you're going out there, you know, you got to look at the center. You got to look at your guy and you got to keep the count in mind. Is it on two? Then you got the crowd noise going. And sometimes you miss when the center ducks the first time. And then you're like, oh, my God, if you lose the count, there's no worse feeling in the world. But, you know, it's on one or two or however they do it. But, you know, on top of that, you're keeping track of all that. Then they bring up linebackers and corners and stuff. And you have to communicate to your offensive line and say he's coming, which changes everyone's blocking assignment to move to the left or right or however it shifts. And all of that's going on pre-snap. And I don't know how old Gunnar Hansen is. He's like 19 or 20. You got a 20-year-old having to do that mental chess on an SEC network in front of thousands of people. It's sometimes, you know, it just doesn't go right. So I'm gonna I'll be a little I'll be a little defensive of the offensive line. Give them a little bit of credit. It's very 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 difficult. It's hard. It gets really hard. Yeah, I think what we always like to say is TDR does not do the thing that you hear out of a lot of Vanderbilt media coverage, which is the subtle disrespect of low expectations. Is the only reason that we're hypercritical of things is because we want these guys to succeed so damn badly. Like any negative take that we have here is like, I hope to be proven so wrong and oh, look, yeah. and look so stupid. Like if I criticize an offensive lineman, like if I say something about Hanson and he met and he goes through the best game he's had all year, I'm like sitting at home like, hell yeah. Yeah. Like, prove me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Prove me wrong, please. We do have one more question here, Blake. I do want to. Can get I finish into... one more thought on oh, that? Yeah, absolutely. I want to give Julian Hernandez a little grace, too, because the guy has got to snap a ball against the biggest guy on every single team hitting him right in the mouth every single play. Shotgun. And he has to look through his legs and look up and call out who the middle linebacker is. Like, it is hard for every single position up there. So if there's one thing anyone takes away from this podcast, it's offensive line is very hard. They work very hard. Mistakes are going to happen sometimes. That's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, I think something we always like to point out and you can tell us if this is untrue, but a lot of times I think the center gets called the quarterback of that offensive line. They are. And, they, yeah. It's the two positions that move that gambling line the most. Number one is if the quarterback is out, it's going to move. Number two, if the center is out, that line is going to move a lot. So I think that I'm glad you called that out. Cause I think that's a position that doesn't get enough, enough credit or criticism often enough, but, we do yeah, have they the gotta one- do their job, though. I'm not excusing everything, but like before you go to tweet at him, it's like it's hard. <laughs> it's it's yeah. not an easy thing to do. So I'll leave it at that. I do have one little follow up on that before we get to the last question. Is it is it harder or easier 
for a center. I know that wasn't your position, but to be snapping to a quarterback in the shotgun or be snapping to a quarterback under center? Under center. I've got to imagine under center is easier. You'll notice how all of them hold the ball like this now instead of – they have like a cone Mm -hmm. grip on it. I think that helps them, but I I don't know. I mean, that's hard. hard I mean, someone's hitting you in the face. They're strongest guy. You see all the weightlifting videos where they're squatting houses and benching it. That guy's hitting you in the face while you got to snap a ball to a quarterback. You got Jordan Davis, right? Like we're face mask. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. And then if you miss snap the ball, which is like the smallest portion of that play, the entire play is ruined. So oh, that's that, 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 you... totally botched. Yeah. But we do have one more question here from yep. at East Coast Waves. He says, how important is running back talent when it comes to the, the success of the offensive line? Can good running backs overcome a bad O-line and still gain decent yardage? Um, I'm going to name drop Jerron Seymour because he's a dog. He's one of the few guys who could do oh. that. He's a dog. Yeah. I'm barking too. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The jitterbug. But, I mean, watch the game. If three guys are in the backfield when he's getting the ball, what do you think he's going to do? Just jump cut and get out of their way? If the offensive line isn't blocking, the play's done. But, yeah, I mean, sometimes they scheme the defensive per- the defense perfectly. The gap is sealed up. Everyone's gap sound on defense. And you need, like, a Le'Veon Bell or Jerron Seymour type to make a jump cut and hit the hole. So, I think, yeah, I think the success of the running backs a lot more predicated on the offensive line and vice versa, obviously. But yeah, having a good running back who's got vision and patience definitely can change the game. And, and Blake, following up on running back personnel, this uh, this could totally be a non-factor whatsoever. But from an offensive line perspective, is it is it more reassuring to play with a running back that is sort of like that jitterbug that can make a cut, or? Did you prefer to play with a running back that was very downhill, ran with his pads, ran right up the middle, tough runner? Or does it really matter? Um, I like – I mean, fourth and short, you need the guy to get the yard. That's mm-hmm. Kari Blaston game, for example. He's, he's, yeah. he's punching it right through there. But I don't know. Having a little shake shimmy is fun. Like Keyshawn Vaughn was a lot of fun to watch. Jerron yeah. Seymour is a lot of fun to watch. There's just – it's fun, but I'll tell you – in terms of, at least from what I can recall, off running backs who can pick up that that blitzing linebacker and take it like a man, that's where you get the respect of everybody. Yeah. Because yeah. they get wrecked. <laughs> yep. 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 Just a Kill. dude with a full head of steam and just having to stand there and just hope to stand your ground as much as possible. If um, you can take that, you got my respect. So I did have a couple not follow-up questions, but just questions in general. So one of my big points throughout this whole offseason about the offensive line is we had high expectations, me and Trevor both, but I really wanted to hit on that Vanderbilt lost Ben Bresnahan and Gavin Schoenwald, who were tight ends and were good catching passes, but were also kind of de facto secondary offensive linemen within those schemes. And Blake, I know you – I think it was your junior year, played some tight end as well in right. kind of a tweener type position at that point. How important is it to have good blocking tight ends and how much does that impact an offensive line? It is it is so important. I mean, watch look at, at Kittle or Gronkowski, what they did in the run game and how that opened everything up. I mean, 
tight ends get asked to do a lot of very difficult blocking assignments. One thing I'll never understand, and I want to put this out there, is I don't understand any offensive coordinators like tight end against defensive end one-on-one on a pass play. Drives me nuts. It never works. It never works. But in terms of the run game, yeah, it's huge. You know, they got to help the tackle block, you know, on, on outside zone plays, get back to the linebacker, uh, establish the edge on a wide zone. You know, if, the, if, if they're really trying to stretch it out, they got to help the tackle with the defensive end and get up to the linebacker. They're, they're huge. They're, they're just as important as everyone else on the line. Thank you. I feel validated once again. Yeah, you called it yeah, before that, the season. That was one yeah. of my biggest points was I'm not trying to shit on the offensive line, but, like, they had grown men on the outside yeah. there. I mean, literally two dudes that if they just ate some more Wendy's double cheeseburgers every night they could and raised that cholesterol, tackles. they could have been tackles. So that was yeah. – and then they uh, they both, or Gavin at least, stopped by the tailgate. Seeing him in person – Him and Ben. Yeah, they are – That was a humbling experience. Yeah. Because I'm, you know, me and Trevor, <laughs> I think people have this idea that me and Trevor are much smaller people. Yeah, I'm 6'1", 265. Yeah, and I'm six I'm foot of buck 70. And every single picture we take with people is like Gavin Schoenwald, Ben Bresnan, Candace Story Lee, Barton, yeah, Barton Simmons. Like me and Trevor look like we're 5'5 five five in every single well, picture. And I looked like a child next to Gavin and uh, Ben. Ben Bresnan shook my hand, and I was like, I never, I felt so emasculated. I was like, oh, my God. But I, I was like, I, I feel like a child I right felt now. like I was at Door Jam in, like, 2007 <laughs> yeah. when I was going around and taking pictures. Of like, this guy is not, he's not real. There's absolutely. Did you give him a firm shake? Dude, I tried. It, it, it might not have been. Establish your dominance. He, we- honestly, dude, I went in, and he probably was like, Dude, this guy should not be talking about football. He's the weakest handshake. My like fingers are like crumpled. I'm not gonna. Ball. I'm not gonna lie. At that point, I'd had quite a few cocktails and, and some cigs. Yeah, and I, it's I, I, I didn't shake hands. I dapped up at that point. I think. <laughs> I think darts. Gavin. Oh, I don't. Yeah. I don't want to throw shade on. Him. I think Gavin had also partaken in a few in a few cocktails uh, as Gavin well at that electric. point. But it's funny because I, Gavin Schoenwald's dad and my dad work at the same company directly with each other oh, which is way. yeah very very random cool. little tidbit there but blake thank you for answering all the questions you want to join us here for this uh beautiful and fun florida recap here yeah yeah i got you time awesome yeah i got some time so we the show are goes on. The show goes on the show goes on. goes on so as i said at the beginning here vanderbilt moves to two and five on the season oh and three in conference with a 38 to 14 loss to the Florida Gators, a team that they beat last season 31 to 24. Five straight losses for the Commodores. The first quarter was pretty competitive, uh, seven to seven. I won't get too detailed into the recap. We always shout out Vandy 24 7 Robbie. If you want to see a full play by play recap with timestamps, subscribe to 24 7. Check out Robbie's articles, he does a fantastic job recapping the game this is a majority our reaction so in the first quarter the big play to will shepherd obviously right after florida had a 94 yard drive in just three minutes and 27 seconds the longest drive this vanderbilt defense has given up this entire season but right after that cj taylor gets a big play on a running back pass for some reason why in the world did florida call a trick play after effortlessly moving the ball down the field 
in the first drive and half their second drive. And then they decide to pull to dig into the bag of tricks and pull out a running back pass. Blake or Trevor, do you have any explanation why they would make that play call and CJ Taylor capitalized by making a great play? Do coaches just overthink it that much? I don't know. I mean, maybe <laughs> he's been playing conservative all year and everyone's tweeting him saying, mix it up. And he's like, now's the time. Push the button. Let's go. <laughs> Not the time. <laughs> I felt Billy, man. That was a weird – I tweeted, too. I was like – because I don't know. I feel like trick plays have this weird connotation of, like, desperation, which I do appreciate. Like, I love a good – like, the Statue of Liberty play against Ole Miss in 2011 is, like, the fake jump mm. pass. I don't know if you call that a trick play, but just stuff like that is absolutely electric. But whenever you have a team like Florida running that against Vanderbilt, it, all, it, it sort of screams desperation. And I, 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 I thought I, – I tweeted, I was like, why did they just run a trick play? That I call I only called usually me and my dad watch the games together. If we don't, there's usually about 10 phone calls during the game back and forth. There were only two during this game, and that was one of them. Because I just had to call him and say, Can you imagine how angry we would be at Vanderbilt's coaching staff if we just had a 94-yard touchdown drive in three and a half minutes, created a stop on defense, got the ball, we're driving down the field, and then ran an RB pass and turned the ball over and on, on an interception. Vanderbilt did a good job there. They immediately turned that into points on a long Will Shepard touchdown pass. I don't have the actual yardage of that play in front of me. I think it was, what, 70 yards? Also, Dave Neal was drunk during that oh game. Oh, my God. C.J. Taylor got four steps and bounds in the interception. He goes, did he pick that? And I was, like, looking at my TV. I was like, it, did my eyes deceive me? Like, did he not just get, like, 10 steps in? And I'm like... No, they did not deceive me. I'm like, Dave Neal is buckled at 3 o'clock on a Saturday. <laughs> it felt like one of those early season basketball games when ESPN wasn't sending the people or oh, their announcers actually out to the st- or to the gym. They were just doing it remotely, and they just didn't have the perspective they needed. That's what it felt like the whole game from Dave Neal. It was, it was the, I was like, I think this man is drunk. I'm hypercritical of announcers because I want to see, I want to hear Billy Derrick on the SEC network crew. Our beautiful boy. Fly, fly away. Sweet Prince. He should be the new voice of the Commodores. I I, love, I love Andrew Allegretta, but put Billy in the booth. I want to hear Billy boy. Billy and Joe Fisher. Oh, electricity. God, God, I do love Warren Norman. God, I miss Billy and Joe would absolutely go. Um, cinema. Martin (laughs) Scorsese's cinema. Absolute cinema, but Will Shepard gets away. I won't hit on this too heavily. Gets away with a little face mask to the, to the cornerback. It was clean. It was clean. It was clean. He well, gouged his eye out. He that that DB's blind. I watched he that lost play and I was like, "What horrible effort from that cornerback? Why would he do that?" And then I watched the replay and Will Shepard had like turned his helmet around his by pulling his face mask down. It's it, we're due for one of those missed calls. We're due for one of those though. We get them yeah. so bad and. Real quick, maybe the offensive coordinator on that running back pass was like, got to put it on film for next week to keep the defense guessing because now they'll know you're crazy enough to try it. So you got to plan for it. Waste practice reps planning for that. I don't know. Blake, I got a question for you, and this is totally off topic, and I hate to interrupt the flow, but since you're a former Vanderbilt player, there is this idea, and I don't even want to say it's an idea, but as a fan, I wholeheartedly believe it because I've seen it literally all my life. My dad has seen it all his life. There are just so many awful phantom calls and crucial plays against Vanderbilt, and I know every fan base says this. I know they do, but they're wrong, and we're right. It actually does happen to Vanderbilt. Were there ever times that you were in a game and you were like, what the hell was that? They're like, yeah, you in the moment, you're like, 
that did not happen. And they show the replay, and you're like, what are they looking at? You know what I oh, mean? Oh, yes. Oh, my God, yes. And I don't – I'll tell you, it's been a while. I've been hitting the head too many times. But I do remember there was one against Texas A&M. I, I don't remember exactly what play it was. But James Franklin was just chewing this ref out, and I think – Allegedly, I don't remember all the way. Again, allegedly, <laughs> the ref kind of was like, yeah. Oh, so, really? I'm, I'm not, hey, no names. I Just what I remember. But, oh, yeah, I allegedly, absolutely. Allegedly. You can't say it doesn't. Yeah, you can't say it doesn't happen. How does that happen to us in every single big game? Yep. Every and single I, one. And I always say, if there ever was a conspiracy or plot to keep a team down and prevent them from being in the big time prime time broadcast or an SEC championship game or being the CBS game of the week, it would be against Vanderbilt. They don't it, want to see the boys win. It, it it would be against the small private university with the smaller fan base. It's not going to be against Tennessee, no. guys. It's no. the, they're not trying to keep the Volunteers down. Y'all just fucking suck. They're monetarily not, invested in Tennessee. Yeah, being it's good. like that's good for them if a big brand goes out there. It's like if there ever was a plot, and if there ever was a tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. We're going to be the guys to find it. Don't worry. Across all sports, all except Tim Corbin, who has willed the baseball program into being the team that gets the calls that people complained right. about. But that's about, I mean, you said you didn't want to interrupt the flow there, Trevor. <laughs> but, I mean, outside of that Will Shepard touchdown, Florida goes down and scores again, 14-7. to The only significant play i would say in sequence of the rest of the game is right after florida goes down and scores there's a quincy skinner jr fumble in the middle of there that florida capitalized on but vanderbilt had a huge play to junior cheryl pass a little bit behind him from ken seals i'm not trying to be nitpicky or ticky tack but that should have been a touchdown and he underthrew it and vanderbilt instead of having a touchdown had a 52 yard play getting him down to the 10 yard line I'm just going to say that's exactly the point that I've been making episode after episode is it's not that Ken Seals is playing badly. It's the little things like that. That has to be a touchdown for Vanderbilt. It's why Ray Davis is a great running back, but Vanderbilt has to have a running back that doesn't have a 38-yard gain. They have to have a running back like Keyshawn Vaughn that takes it to the house because they just can't consistently make those plays in the red zone, and that has been a struggle this entire season. Vanderbilt gets the ball at the 10-yard line. It's fourth down from, the, I think, the four. They run a whip route to Cam Johnson. Yep. Beautiful pass from Ken Seals. Hits Cam right in the hands. Unfortunately, drops the ball. Can't drop that pass. But I tweeted directly after that, you cannot drop that pass. But also, why are you running a whip route to your third-string freshman tight end in the red zone? that guy's probably more likely to drop that one-on-one -on -one play or one-on-one -on -one pass than, let's say, Quincy Skinner Jr. or, let's say, Will Shepard or, let's say, Jaden McGowan. That's no shade at Cam Johnson. I think he's going to be a great tight end in this program as long as he sticks with it. But, of course, that happens because you ran it to a guy that's not a primary playmaker. It, it's repeatedly misuse of personnel within this Vanderbilt team that I think is driving me up a wall. Trevor, I, I know we were talking about that before the pod, but anything else that you saw in that first half, because Vanderbilt then gives the ball back to Florida and the rest of the game, 
The rest is history. Vanderbilt was pretty much dominated the entire second half. I truly don't have the will inside of my soul to go through the play-by-play recap the remainder of the game, but Florida outscored Vanderbilt. What is that? 17-7 to in the second half, 21-7 to in the first half, winning 38-14. to Any thoughts on the game overall, Blake or Trevor? I mean, before I, we get into the box score, I love Clark Lee, and I I'm I'm not on the fire Clark Lee train yet. As crazy as that sounds, um, I think the coordinators need. I think Joey Lynch and Nick Howell need to go. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, I will say Clark Lee might be one of the worst middle eight coaches I've ever seen in my life. I don't remember the last time what we talked about this. There was one uh, the Kentucky game. I think we won the middle eight. This year, maybe I'm my brain is not working. I think we won. I mean, the Stanford game, you lost it. The South Carolina game is first season. You Stanford is first game, first season. Stanford game, you lost to that South Carolina the first season. You lost it. You clearly lost it in this game. Um, hell, I think you even lost it against Alabama AM. I think you gave up, I think you gave up points right before the half. And it's just, I don't know, man. It's just, it's, uh, I don't. I, I don't get it. I don't. Then again, I I'm not a football coach. I don't understand it. But it's just, it, it. Hey, I do. I will say, not related to this game. We do need to give Clark Lee some credit on the recruiting trail. He's busting his tail, and this staff. I don't. I don't know who in particular, but this staff is busting their tail Barton. on the recruiting trail. Barton, yeah, Barton, shout out Barton. Yeah. With Ed, with Edwards, Dante Carter. I mean, if you can land those two guys, th- th- I mean, those are historic gets for Vanderbilt. This is the recruiting class. And Blake, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off if you had anything to add on to the to that incredibly beautiful Florida recap that I just put out. But uh, uh, yeah, that's yeah. yeah, go that's the main reason that I'm not on the fire Clark Lee train yet is I'm on the re overhaul the staff train is this is really the first time you've seen the capability of Barton Simmons and Clark Lee on the recruiting trail, and you've brought in some guys so far as commits. I'll believe it when Penn hits paper. But you've brought in guys that are a caliber of talent you just haven't seen at, at Vanderbilt in a while. So yeah. I'm not on the fire Clark Lee train because the only momentum Vanderbilt has right now within this football program is on the recruiting trail and on these recruits in the class of 2024. If you fire Clark Lee and Barton Simmons goes along with him and you lose this class and literally you have no minimum moment, ah, no more momentum. And then who the hell is going to want to fill the Vanderbilt? coaching role nobody i mean because after you fire the golden boy after three years who's going to take the toughest job in the country at that point knowing that you have no leeway but blake any final thoughts on this florida game this is your chance to vent out any anything you've had sitting inside uh you guys have pretty much covered it all i mean it's a different game if that touchdown scored if a bunch of little things go differently completely different game i think you know we ride a little bit too much on momentum and we go as it goes with the game flow. And that, you know, that happens with younger guys. But I want to echo what you guys are saying about Clark Lee. I mean, guys, do you know what this program was when he took it over? It's like if you've seen the Ford versus Ferrari movie, you have an elite race team who's doing it week in and week out everywhere else. And he gets asked to build something to compete with that. Mm-hmm. It's going to take some time. I mean, look at even recruiting what you guys said he's getting the Nashville kids who weren't, we weren't getting during Mason. I know he was recruited everywhere else, but Nashville's a good football place. I'm from Florida. Yeah. I'm from Florida. So high school football is huge here. I'm like, okay, Tennessee's got some guys. 
and he's he's getting them. He's getting them to stay home. And the other focus is he's getting the administration behind him, which we haven't seen since James Franklin. I mean, I remember when I got out, I was like, when are we ever going to fix this stadium? I'd go back to some games and shout out you fans for sitting through all that. And those, I mean, my back hurt. It was tough. I couldn't, I'm a big guy anyways. I couldn't fit in the stadium, but I'm like, God, this is, this is tough. But we got that development coming. It's just, it's frustrating. There's going to be growing pains. We're competing with people who have all the support for decades and decades and decades. We're just getting into it. Just be patient. Franklin did show that, you know, sparks can happen there. It can happen. There were some wins under Mason that were great. Clark Lee beat Florida last year. It can happen. Just give him some time to make it a consistent thing. Exactly. I, I think that's the sentiment we're trying to trying to get out there is it doesn't make it okay what we've seen on the field. But also, and I hate this phrase when people say it in a condescending way, but I truly mean who is Vanderbilt going to get right now that better fits this program? And who is Vanderbilt going to get that's not going to abandon this program like James Franklin did after the first sign of success? And I truly believe that Clark Lee, if he went 12-0 and went to the SEC championship, this is where he wants to be. He wants to raise his family in Nashville. He's from the area. He played here. This is a guy that, if he has success, can change the entire trajectory of this Vanderbilt program like Dave Clawson has done at Wake Forest. Mm -hmm. So I think that adds value in and of itself, is he's going to be loyal to this Vanderbilt program. I believe that. I hope I'm not wrong. So the administration and fan base has to show a little bit of loyalty to Clark Lee. And so I, that might sound up in the clouds, positivity, but that doesn't save anything from what I'm talking about with the rest of this OC and DC and the rest of the staff. I mean, I don't understand what the scheme is. I, I, I don't think I've asked you this yet, Blake. Things are running together at this point. <laughs> but me and Trevor were trying to discuss this. You hit on finding three plays on offense earlier in this episode that are, you know, staple plays within uh -huh. the offense. And we were trying to figure out what is this team's identity overall? They're obviously not a defensive team. I mean, are they a run-and-shoot team? Are they an RPO team? Are they obviously aren't a run-first team? You know, dink-and-dunk te dink team? What uh, do you see as the identity here? Try to run the ball and hail Mary to Will Shepard and pray. I mean, that's uh, – I'd like to see a lot more, like – and listen, if, if Joey Lynch is listening to this or anyone, I know how hard you guys work. I, I know a bunch of coaches. I'm not trying to just – get after you at all but like what we're what we're running just clearly isn't working we gotta we gotta switch something up and i'm sure you guys know that but mm -hmm. i just I, I speak for probably most people and i say i just i just want to see it just like you guys do yeah. and hopefully I mean, we can it, get it right it's year three it, it's yeah. time to see some of the fruit come to fruition mm -hmm. and it's it's gotten worse so i'm gonna run through the box score real quick some quick team stats florida averaged seven yards per play during this game Vanderbilt's running backs totaled 29 total yards as a group and Graham Mertz had his best passing performance of the season completing 30 of 36 passes for 254 yards and three touchdowns all of those things going and then we'll run through the Vanderbilt box score here Ken Seals okay I mean he played he, he managed the game that, that's how I would describe how he plays quarterback versus A.J. Swan. 
Ken Seals is a game manager. A.J. Swan is a guy that can go out right now as a sophomore and throw three interceptions and complete 16 of 40 passes. We saw it. Yeah. He can go out there and have a performance like that. He can also have a performance that wins you a football game. I think the ceiling is tremendously lower with Ken Seals, but I think the floor is tremendously higher with Ken Seals. That's fine. It just depends on your perspective of how you view football. I prefer the guy at Vanderbilt that has a high ceiling because I think you need guys to win you football games. I don't think you can win games at Vanderbilt by just allowing the win to come to you by playing mistake-free football. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong. That's kind of how I feel on that. But Ken Seals was 19-34, 276 as a car revs by our apartment here. Talk about Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah, Jesus, you brought that into real life in reality 19 to 34 276 two touchdowns no picks 53 qbr granted 120 of those yards were on two plays so that's going to skew it a little bit Mm -hmm. the running game the running back position this is where it gets ugly cedric alexander was the leading rusher eight carries for 27 yards 3.4 yards per carry jade mcgowan Obviously, a slot receiver, so not included in that 29 yards that I was referencing earlier. Two carries, 25 yards, no touchdowns. Patrick Smith continuing to be less involved. Two carries, eight yards. Ken Seals, of course, you know, sacks count in. Seven carries for six yards. On the receiving front, Will Shepard, once again, the leading receiver. Only three catches. I'll repeat that. Three catches for Will Shepard, 107 yards, one touchdown, a majority of that coming on the first score for the Commodores early in the game. Junior Sherrill with that big 52-yard reception, two catches for 64 yards. Richie Hoskins coming in, yeah, coming in with two catches for 48 yards and a tutty. Patrick Smith, one catch for 15 yards. Quincy, four catches for 12 yards, and obviously that very detrimental fumble. Damn it, Quincy, I want you to get the ball more. Don't fumble it. I, I want to see you in space making plays. I love you, Quincy. All right. You're the, Don't you might be it. the biggest Q supporter. I, he's one of the most underutilized pieces of talent that this Vanderbilt program has ever had. He's a freak. He is a guy that should be getting 10 to 12 targets a game, and instead he gets three targets a game maximum. It, and that's it, even if he sees the field. It doesn't make any sense. I don't care what they're seeing in practice. I know what I've seen on game day and in spring practice. He is the second best wide receiver on this roster, outside wide receiver on this roster. No diss, Jaden. Well, but, I mean, it's Jordan Matthews, Chris Boyd, Will Shepard, Quincy Skinner. I mean... <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna throw. In, I'm, I'm gonna throw in the boy Kraus there. I'm gonna hey, throw yeah. in the boy yeah. Kraus. No, Kraus is Kraus a dog. So hey, Kra- I already oh, said what I had to say about him. Little Kalijah, maybe. But he's he's yeah, a Kalijah's guy that dog. he. Uh, I've used the reference. I don't know if you'll remember him, Blake, but Amir Abdur Rahim is a, is I another did. guy that I feel very similarly about him that I do about Quincy Skinner is it's another just freak athlete that every time the ball gets thrown to him, it seems 90, 95% of the time, good things happen, but they just stay uninvolved in the offense. And I, I, I don't have answers to it. I, I don't know. Get him in space. Like, get him in space. Just get him in space. He always makes the first guy miss. Yeah. It, just almost throw the ball game. out and let him go two on two and watch him work. That's yep. just do it. And if it fails, I'll eat it. Just blame me. Blame the door report. Blame Blake. No, don't blame you guys. Blame me. Just just put it all on me. I'll We've eat it. Plenty of blame. it try it. Take some more. <laughs> I've seen it work more than it doesn't work. 
I'm getting an ad play here in the background on ESPN. Uh, we'll run through the rest of the stats here. Cam Johnson, two catches, 11 yards. Logan Kyle, one catch, eight yards. Cedric Alexander, two catches, six yards. McGowan, very uninvolved, two catches for five yards. How in the fuck is he that uninvolved? That's a fireball um, offense as well. Once is, again. Yeah, just not getting him the ball. I mean, one of the fastest guys in Vanderbilt football. Sorry for my language, everyone out there, but I'm very frustrated. We'll mark this as explicit again. Yeah, once again, we will have to mark this episode as explicit. Uh, Vanderbilt loses the turnover battle Shocker. again. Shocking. I know they haven't won the turnover battle yet this year. That's fine. Uh, on defense, Savion Riley led the team in tackles, 12 total tackles. Brian Longwell, seven total tackles. Rinaldi was six. Tyson Russell, Langston Patterson, CJ Taylor, and DeCosmo, and Ethan Barr with five each. Marlon Sewell, Darren Agu with four each. And we won't run through all the rest of the three, two, and one tackles. On the, on the box score, but that's about it. That's about all I've got. There were some special teams issues. One ball that Will Shepard let bounce that resulted in some bad field position for the Commodores. Can't have that happen when Will Shepard is out there for one reason, and that's to have sure hands and field punts and make good decisions. Not a slight it necessarily fully at Will Shepard, but he's got to be better. I expect him to be a superstar. Superstars don't make mistakes like that, and they also don't have eight drops in seven games. He's a star, but he has things to work on. And I think that's part of the frustration that Vanderbilt fans feel within that is he has potential to be the best receiver that Vanderbilt has had ever. No slight at J-Matt, but he's on track to break Jordan Matthews all-time touchdowns recept or all-time touchdowns receptions record. And there are still these drop issues happening that were happening in year one. With Will Shepard, he's got to get more sure-handed in those situations. But that's the full box score recap. Uh, Florida ran the ball 30 times for 215 yards, 7.2 yards per carry. My God. I already hit, And that was without ETN. That was without their starting running back and a starting offensive lineman. They still ran for 7.2 yards per carry. Graham Mertz, I mentioned it before, 30 for 36, 254, three touchdowns, 69.6 QBR. Florida's receivers, I mean, they were able to spread the ball around to everyone. Overall, a dominant performance from the Gators. I think it's about time to get into our very quick three key takeaways of the game before we have a little TDR cocktail break and get into our very brief Georgia preview. So Very brief. Trevor, let's get into your first key takeaway here. I don't even have mine written down yet. We're, Blake, you have, it, you have key takeaways? You ready to roll onto this or... Uh, yeah, let's I've got go. Mine let's ride. All right, let's keep it All right. Uh, Trevor. Trevor, we'll go Trevor first and give you time to get that first one first from lockdown, and I'll go last year. Man, dude, I don't. My key takeaway number one is, and it's, it's. I, I feel like I talk about this. I feel like I talk about every position group this way, except for the secondary. Man, the defensive line is just starting to frustrate me more and more each week, and and. It, man, I just I, I keep talking about the the personnel usage. I would love to see Demarion Thomas more on the inside. Whenever he's in, and like we said last week, whenever he's in short yardage situations, whenever they're in the goal line, he's a wrecking ball. And I don't feel like any, and like I said, I don't feel like anybody ever talks about him. But just stuff after stuff after stuff. Um, in in a defensive line that you thought was going to be very very good this year, I had high hopes for Darren Agu. I know he's still probably battling with the elbow. 
Um, I thought he had his most disruptive game. He was in the. I will he, say, Darren it, you Agu saw a lot of flashes. Darren Agu was in the backfield almost every play. He was. He he really was wonderful this game. Um, I still think he has a very very high ceiling. I'm not out on Darren Agu yet. I think he's one of those kids that like I. I think once he puts it together, I truly truly believe that he could go down as like one of the Vanderbilt greats, and we would like we're gonna tell our kids about Darren Agu. We're not seeing it yet. I, that's okay. I'm not out on him yet. But the defensive line as a whole is super frustrating to me, man. I, you have a lot of size on the interior with Devin Lee. Um, I feel like everybody talked about Issa Wataha going into last season and this season. I don't know if the position change is really really that big of a deal. Maybe it plays a little bit into it, moving it from the outside to the inside, so on and so forth. Um, but still, it he, I expected to see more out of him. And I love Javon Hay. I love Larry Black. Javon Hay is a Vanderbilt legend. He kills it on the recruiting trail. He's probably, outside of Barton Simmons, Javon Hay is the most important Vanderbilt asset when it comes to recruiting. I don't think you can get rid of him just because he brings that much value to recruiting. But something's got to change with the offensive line. And I've never – a defensive line, sorry. Um, and, 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 and maybe both of you guys can give a little uh, insight into this. I've not before this season. I don't think I've ever heard of an interior defensive line coach and a defensive end coach having like equal responsibility like that. Maybe I'm just not tapped into football like that. I've never heard such a thing. Um, and it doesn't seem to be working. I don't know if there's uh, miscommunications. I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's different tech. I know, of course, there's different techniques taught to each position. A three tech is not taught the same as a defensive end, so on and so forth. Um, but man, it just just no pressure on, on the defensive line, and particularly the interior of the defensive line, um, is, is really frustrating. I mean, it feels like every game they're just getting they're just getting moved, and these Mack truck size holes are getting opened up. So. I, I really, if I had to, I think the Cosmo has actually been a wonderful asset. I don't feel like we give him enough credit. I think the Cosmo has been really, really good. And I really like what I've seen out of him at that star position. Um, yeah. yeah, I, 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 I will say I, whenever he's, whenever they let him go to the quarterback, I actually, I like what I see out of him. Um, I think miles capers is still probably trying to get his feet under him. I yeah. have high expectations for him. <laughs> um, but man, the, uh, if I had to really hone it in, the interior of the defensive line is just not getting it done for me, man. Whether in the pass rush game uh, or the run blocking game, it's just it's just not getting it done for me. That's my key takeaway number one. Not good, Blake. That's I pretty much agree. It's not getting it done, Blake. Yeah. What's your key takeaway number one? Or if you have more to add on to what Trevor said, uh, I agree with Trevor. I'd like to see a little bit more inside. I think. How how old are our players in there? What year are they? Uh, Wataha is a sophomore. Devin Lee is sophomore junior. sophomore junior. I think Bradley Mann has been Bradley Mann has been really good. Christian James, it was his first game back. I thought probably once again getting his legs underneath him, coming back from that bad injury. I think it's actually going to be massive for Vanderbilt to get him going. Um, I believe he's a junior or a senior, and then of course you. Uh, I'm trying to pull it up right now. I wish we had. Okay, Phoebe. sorry, oh, sorry for throwing Phoebe, you off. Have, Phoebe, do you have anything being to say? Very lazy. Nothing. Not 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 a thing to be said. Um, that's just a uh, that that's a big boy position. That's like your yeah. interior offensive line. Like, I'd rather I'd like to see, you know, what they're like when they're seniors. It's tough. I mean, you're it's big boy on big boy. That's the biggest people on the team fighting each other. You got young guys going against grown men. You know, some yeah, I mean, of offensive line has been around. 
it's it's hard. Like, Blake, when, you were right. when, I just got it pulled yeah. up. Sorry. Uh, Devin Lee, junior, Darren Agu, sophomore, Wataha, sophomore. So you do have a lot of young guys in there, you know, trying yeah. to have so exactly what you were saying. And they do. And it's not. And here's the thing is we're not bringing from what I can see. We need to be craftier with our blitzes, confuse the offensive line, because a lot of times like it's hard to just beat someone unless you got a freak jump on the ball. You bring some blitzes or show some things, throw off the offensive line's communication. They don't know who they're sliding to right before the play shift do whatever you got to do to confuse them. That opens some things up. Even if your offensive, even if your defensive line is not wonderful at one-on-ones, just confuse the offensive line. You get a younger offensive line, every single one has one. You know, everyone watches film, circle the guy that can't figure it out and say, all right, let's confuse this guy and run everything at him. That's a so, great point. Great point. I'll, ask, I'll ask you this, Blake, before we get into your before we get into your take number one. Um, it's yeah. really short. I know you said you're not big in the defense. You're, you're not really uh, that, like, you probably know more than we do as our neighbors above us. Defensive line play, Basketball I can game. tell you. Defensive line, and particularly my question about linebackers. Are you seeing anything from the Vanderbilt linebackers in regards to blitzes, schemes, um, anything like that, that that really intrigues you? Should they be doing more? Because it feels like from a fan perspective, it's just nickel and dime, drop everybody back in coverage, and hopefully your front three and four can get it done. They are. I mean, it's tough, though, because, I mean, we're just getting bombs dropped on us all the time with just long pass. It's, it's like it, as much as – the play calling is tough. I mean, what do you do? But at the same time, when you put CJ Taylor or speedster up there, they get it done. Yeah. You know, maybe put him at the star position for third and drop someone else back there and just say, go cause some havoc, go get there. Cause he can do it. There's certain guys. And I think the Cosmo was, has one. There's some guys who are just fast and you get a third long against an offensive tackle. Some of the beefier boys we were talking about. Maybe they don't get out of their stance that fast, and you got CJ Taylor running a forty-yard dash. Mm-hmm. That's there's good. different ways to go about doing. I just, I hate it. I'll tell you what. I used to love when I'd go against big defensive ends. I love them. the bigger they are. I'm like, okay, you're just gonna bull rush me. You're not gonna beat me off the snap. It'll be fine. When you get a Leonard Floyd or Stephen Weatherly, who's like a track stance and start, and you gotta, you, that's what I was telling you earlier. You gotta time the center up. That is every offensive tackle's worst nightmare out there in long. So just put them there. Put someone that fast. It freaks them out. Interesting. A speed rush guy. So that's a nice little insight. So you'll get one every now and then. You will. Yeah. If you're at Let the tackle, win. if you're at the tackle position, you see somebody not with their hand in the dirt, but in their upright stance. Are you like, oh my god? Single digit numbers. You're like, oh boy. Okay. If you see a single digit number like a seven or like Clowney with six or something, and you just are looking at him like. Dear God. Just please God. <laughs> please God, let it be a twist game. And he goes inside the defensive tackles, runs outside and after. Please God. So we have a lot know, of activity just, going on above us, Blake. I'm sorry we keep looking at Yeah, up. just create create mismatches. That's what I'd finish on your thing. Create a mismatch where they gotta really think about it. All right. What's your uh, key takeaway number one from that Florida game, Blake? Um, let's see, I'm getting a text from you. Win the turnover battles. <laughs> I thought that's what you were going to say. <laughs> Stole it. Every week. Every week, every week and it never every works. Every week. They're, not, they're not listening. They're I'm going to tweet you a Photoshop text message that says, <laughs> 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 
uh, I got that and no more bachelor trips because I, I I blame you a lot for for what's going on here. I'm getting a lot of blame. It's all two. You got two strikes. Look, three, you're out. I'm a strong <laughs> and humble man. I'm willing. I, I'm strong enough to take this criticism. You know, oh. I'm strong enough to take these heinous accusations upon myself. So that's fine. So I yeah, you were hating on TDR for hyping up this football season too much. So we could just go ahead and take more hate. I never thought that I would be getting accused of being a too positive podcast host. I I yeah, never yeah. I never thought that was a possibility in my entire life. But can I tell you guys something real quick? Yeah, I was thinking about this today. The people who created football season are a bunch of sickos because six days in between games is just long enough to lick your wounds and build that hope right back up, just to get smacked right back down. Sunday, I'm sad. Monday, a little less sad. And I get a little better throughout the week. And then I listen to you guys who are just gassing it up. Throw a little Chris Lee on who's like, maybe it's not that bad. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Okay. Let me put my wife through another Saturday of this. When she wants to go out and be with her friends, I'm like, no, we got to watch Vanderbilt football again. No, we're about to pull off an upset against Georgia. I've got to be <laughs> yeah. there. Did you not listen to the boys, the grit? Where's your grit, wife? <laughs> Let's go. She's a wonderful totally shout out her. <laughs> this is our fault. We did do this. We're gaslighting the entire Vanderbilt fan base. It's fine. Good. <laughs> the Vanderbilt fan base needed to be gaslighted. They hate to see us joyful and whimsical. Yeah, they needed to be dumped with gasoline and gaslighted. <laughs> the revolution needed to happen, and it still needs to happen. We're working on it. It's a long process. Success is not a straight line, as they like to say. My key takeaway, number one, is something that I talked about earlier in this episode. It's this team has no identity. There have been bad Vanderbilt football teams that had an identity. Derek Mason teams pop into your mind that this is a tough defensive football team. It's horrible to watch. It's awful. But you know the defense is going to put up a fight, and they're going to give up 21, 28 points. Now, the offense might get shut out. They might put up three points, but you have an identity. On offense, you're a run-first offense, or you're a pass-first offense. You're a dink duck. Vanderbilt has none of that. There's nothing that this team can hang their hat on right now. And seven games into the season, that's crazy to be sitting here and saying we have no idea as a fan base that has watched every single snap of this team multiple times. I have no idea what their goal or game plan is from week to week. I don't know what they want to do. I don't know what they're trying to do. Besides, they're going to throw five fade passes to Will Shepard in weird times. That's the only thing I can guarantee week in, week out. One slant. And if A.J. Swan's playing, they're going to try to make him fit the ball into windows that an NFL quarterback would struggle to fit the ball into. If Ken Seals is out there, he's going to dump the ball off 15 times a game, and old Vanderbilt heads are going to clap about that. Because he threw no, he threw no picks. Yeah, because the average depth of the average depth of target so far from A.J. Swan throughout the season, and I have it written down here, is 11.41 yards. This is not including the Florida game, but it wasn't much better. Ken Seals, during the Missouri game's average depth of target, was 7.83 yards. So no shit, he threw less interceptions. No shit, he's not being asked to do the same things. So you kind of had an identity under A.J. Swan that this is a team that can turn the ball over at any moment, but they can also hit a big play and score at any moment. Now you've put Ken Seals in, and they don't turn the ball over anymore, but they've put up 21 and 14 points after we were disappointed in a 20-point performance against Wake Forest. All of a sudden, 21 and 14's something to cheer about because he didn't throw picks, but we're not moving the ball. It reminds me of 2015 
when Johnny McCreary was at quarterback and he was turning the ball over consistently. And then he was benched. And then you had Wade Freeback, and we weren't turning the ball over as much, but we're also not moving the ball up and down the field anymore. That's what it feels like under Ken Seals. He's not going to win you a game. We are a big fan of Ken Seals, but the only identity this team had was with A.J. Swan at quarterback. Now they have nothing. There's nothing to hang your hat on with this team, and there's no hope for the future. So that's my positive. (laughs) That's my positive key one, Trevor. What's your key to? So I only have two keys because they really kind of blend in together. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of want to highlight this. And I know we did previous pods to where we want to be like, Clark Lee, show some more emotion. Get into some guys. Uh, shout, out to, shout out to Coach Lee. He's finally showing some more emotion. But it almost feels like, and I get I'm going back on my word. I get I'm contradicting myself. This is a fan podcast, as we say all the time. Tweet me your hate. I don't care. It all it 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 almost feels like too little, too late, and, and it feels like a uh, not like a last ditch effort. But trying to trying to get the chemistry up, trying to get the boys going, and man, it's just not working. And and I, I and if that's not his natural disposition to show emotion like that, I'm honestly I'm okay with the stoic Clark Lee. Sometimes I'm okay with that. I do enjoy him getting into officials. I, I, whenever there's bad calls and whenever somebody needs to get torn into, I love that. I think that is, is, is necessary in football. But it almost just seems like too little too late, and it doesn't seem like the team is responding to it. Because whenever a coach gets into you, whenever he grabs you by your face mask, it's supposed to be a wake-up call. And it, it just doesn't seem like they're responding to it. And then that, and that is frustrating. So I guess I'm going to bind my two keys into one. Is, is Clark Lee showing emotion? Yeah, that's great. But it's not working. It just seems like, it, like you said, with no identity, it also seems like this team has no chemistry. And that's frustrating to me. I mean, we can go into the, I don't know if we want to go into, we go into the will retweet, but yeah, whatever. Blake, what do you got uh, as your uh, key takeaway number two? I know we've been going a minute. Can I combine mine? Absolutely. Whatever you, okay. whatever you need to do. No read option on third and long. That needs to be buried. Burn the film on that. Bury it. Needs to go. And second, with Ken Seals, I do think they're putting a little bit of a limitation on him. He's a veteran guy. He's smart. I think I think they need to give Ken Seal a choice of two play calls and say, can we run the ball here or can we pass the ball? He's smart. He's veteran enough to read this defense and say which of these two plays is going to work instead of saying throw it to Will Shepard for 20 yards or hand it off. I'd like, I'd like for them to give him a little bit more autonomy. Again, Seals team six. I'm a Ken Seals fan. And I want to see him do well. He's done it the right way. You know, I got hurt a lot just like he did. I went through some similar stuff, you know, to what he did. And I want him to win. I think he can do it. He's got the right attitude. Ken Seals, baby. <laughs> well, we hey, love that guy. Dog. <laughs> so did you, I, I was missing here. Uh, had to use the restroom there. The, the pee was brewing. My bladder was very full. Classic mistake. But I didn't want to stop the flow of this Much episode. Creepy. I haven't been taking creatine. So I need maybe that's part of the bulk. Need to get on need to get on creatine and start pounding jugs of water. Trevor, did you do your key two and three there? Yeah, I combined them. Team chemistry and Clark Lee showing emotion. Okay. So that's basically what my key number two was going to be was more hitting on the team chemistry. Something has changed with this team, is my key number two. There's a lot of returning talent. I think I brought it up a couple episodes ago. I don't know if it was Mike Wright. 
I, I don't mm-hmm. know if it was Ray Davis. I'm assuming it was a lot to do with Mike Wright. He seems to have an infectious personality from social media, at least. Mm-hmm. But this team statistically is not that much worse than they were last year. If anything, they're slightly improved statistically from last season across the board. You can go check it on sportsreference.com, ESPN, wherever you want to. This team is not statistically dropped off that much from last year. But obviously something has changed. Something's missing. I don't know what that piece is. I'm not in the locker room, but you can see it and you can feel it. When this team gets down, the sideline is down. I. It's just my raw emotional response from going and watching a replay of that Florida game is you didn't see it last year, but the moment they got down 21 to seven, it felt like the emotions from the players were this is over. And I know that's not the case. I played sports as long as my unathletic body would allow. I know that's not as simple as that in the locker room. I know there's a lot more of the players put in a hundred X time that we put in at covering this team, but it feels like this team has kind of a little bit lost faith in the direction of this program and Clark Lee and this coaching staff. And that's my second key takeaway from this game. I'm uh, my third one. I might have to make up on the spot. I'm just going to say it. My third key takeaway is you've got a clean house on that same note. You have coordinators. coordinators. I, I don't, I'm not on the fire Clark Lee train. Yeah. I'm not on fire every single position coach because not every single position coach necessarily in the nitty gritty is doing something wrong. I absolutely and they agree. have certain recruits they bring in. But Nick Howell and Joey Lynch, Blake, you don't have to agree with this statement. That's fine. You don't have to put it publicly out. But Joey Lynch and Nick Howell have to be fired after they this suck. season. They, they truly suck. This team has regressed with more talent. And mm-hmm. that's truly amazing to me that you can be stagnated from year one to year three with scheme it's the same scheme it's the same lack of identity it's the same problems that we saw in the loss to etsu to start the clark lee tenure we're seeing the same problems in year three against unlv something has to change there's been a lot there you see it constantly across the country staff turnover it's constant Vanderbilt has had the the opposite of that, a very continuous staff. It's been the same guys, and it's not working. It's kind of like what you said, Blake. It's not that I have any better, necessarily, ideas, but you have to, at some point, change up what you're doing. It just feels like you're beating your head against a brick wall of no success. It's like watching the Titans this Sunday. You're having success through the air with Ryan Tannehill and DeAndre Hopkins. So, of course, you have to run off tackle every second or third play with Derrick Henry and Tajay Spear. You have to because that's what you do. Well, it's not working, but they continue to do it, and it's lost them games. Now, expand that out to two and a half seasons. That is what Joey Lynch has been doing. He's running the ball less this season. That's a positive, I guess, but he's not replacing that lack of running game with easy, quick, completions as an extension of the running game to your playmakers on the outside and Will Shepard, Jaden McGowan, and Quincy. And the lack of involvement of those guys, Will Shepard and Jaden McGowan having five combined catches is fireable in and of itself. 
And that's happening consistently. Every other team in the country seems to be able to get the ball in their playmakers' hands with the defense's primary focus on them. Why can't Vanderbilt? Why can't Vanderbilt seem to get the ball in their hands? Well, the defense is focused on them. Is the defense not focusing on other teams' primary playmakers? Because it seems like they're having a pretty damn easy time getting the ball to their guys week in, week out. Joey, that's literally your job. I don't say that lightly. That's that's literally your job is to scheme open your playmakers. And it hasn't happened in two and a half seasons. It's time to clear house. So my key takeaways two and three are this team has lost something in a lack of chemistry. And number three is you've got a clean house when it comes to coordinators. We are so synced up, dude. Can I make a point on that? Absolutely. Just because attorney Blake has got to be devil's advocate a little bit. <laughs> If you take some of those plays that were so close to working and they were like he caught the touchdown against Florida, Will Shepard fields that punt, you know, different things happen and go the right way. UNLV doesn't happen because things, plays get made the way they're supposed to get made. We have a winning record and I don't think the narrative is the same about Joey Lynch. And it sucks because someone has to take accountability for the players. Someone has to, right? And you're not going to yell at a bunch of 20 year old kids. It's got to be the coach. It's just, it's tough. You know, that that job is so tough because that's that's your livelihood is just betting on kids you recruit. And if it's as simple as throwing it, catching the ball, and if they can't do that on one play, everyone turns on them. But I get your frustration. I do. I absolutely understand it. It's frustrating. I have to. Yeah. And, you know, as I, get a, I just I got to say what I got to say. Yeah. As a devil's advocate myself, I've just got to throw in, I, I 100% get that. And I actually, two episodes ago, put a majority of the blame on the players. I think I actually put like 70% of the blame on the players. And I was the opposite. And Trevor was the opposite. And Trevor. I've shifted a bit. <laughs> I'm a player's coach. I'm, I've shifted like a bit like that. on that because I get that Cam has to make that catch. He schemed him open. But he's a true freshman third string tight end wearing number 48. That can't be your primary read on fourth and goal. That's fine. That's fine if that's your primary read on second and goal. But that's that's a make or break play. And you have to go to your dogs in that situation. I wouldn't be upset at Joey Lynch if he schemed that exact play and Will Shepard dropped the ball. If he schemed that exact play and Jaden McGowan dropped the ball. If he schemed that exact play and Quincy dropped the ball. You wouldn't be hearing these criticisms from me. That play in particular, and I've never been a big fan of Joey Lynch. His whole scheme feels like he's just trying to run the same offense as everyone else in the country. You can't do that at Vanderbilt. Mm -hmm. You've got to be a step ahead because you simply are not playing with equal talent across the board on your roster in the SEC. You're just not. So you can't have boneheaded decisions like scheme that play to Cam Johnson. and He's done it his entire career. He doesn't deserve to have a job. (laughs) <laughs> that's where I sit with it. I know you had okay. to be, bring a little positivity, but that's not my I did. job here. I did. It's just such a fine line, and people want to get so mad. And I'm like, if he just catches that or one little thing's a little bit different, narrative changes. But I get you're right. Someone's got to take accountability at the end of the day, and it's the guy who's getting the paychecks. You're absolutely right. I like that. That I understand. Blake, I think that's about as much. What are we at? Like an hour and. Out an hour and a half right now on that Florida yeah. recap. I mean, it doesn't like, get more gritty woo! than that. That is a gritty guest here. Thank you, Blake Fromang, for joining myself, Will Byram, and my co-host Trevor Hewlin on episode 242 of the Door Report, powered by. 
Corey Perkins of Parks Realty. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back from the TDR Cocktail Break, episode 242. Me and Trevor want to thank again Blake Fromang for joining segment one, recapping the Florida loss and kind of getting a state of the union of Vanderbilt Mm -hmm. football and a nice kind of, yeah, state of the union. I'll just stick with that phrase. But Trevor, salute to our president, Blake Fromang. Yeah. Nothing but respect. Nothing but respect for my president. But we have a very fun, and I'm sure it will be detailed, breakdown of the matchup that Vanderbilt has against Georgia. 11 a.m. on CBS at the bank. Dear God, the Georgia Bulldogs, 6-0, and back-to-back national champs, number one in the country. And they really, they had a close game with Auburn. Had a kind of close game with South Carolina, but coming off a 51-13 to victory over the Kentucky Wildcats, who were ranked number 20 in the country in Vanderbilt, got a nice glimpse at by getting their ass kicked by them the previous week. Trevor, is, is this truly a week that we're just like, dear God, don't have any of our main players get injured? Uh, yeah, that's, that's honestly, so that's actually one of my, key takes uh, that's it's not a joke it's Whoopsies. like on here yeah that's so my my keys for victory or not even victory just my key is just dear god nobody get hurt so we're already getting trevor's key number one that's my also, key number one is don't get hurt don't get hurt also my key number one this is going to be a very boring preview i'm not gonna lie to you georgia way more talented than vanderbilt carson back at quarterback 144 for 196 1,886 yards, 11 touchdowns, three picks on the season, only been sacked three times, a 169.8 QB rating. At running back, Georgia has Dejon Edwards, 60 carries, 314 yards with an average of 5.2 yards per carry. Wow, Vanderbilt fans really wish they could see a 5.2 yard per carry average. At wide receiver, the main guy to focus on for Georgia is, in fact, not a wide receiver. And if you followed college football at all, you know who I'm referencing, Brock Bowers at tight end, potentially the next great tight end at the NFL level. I've seen nothing that tells me otherwise, Trevor. I think he's going to be a dog at the next level, and he's going to run rampant over this Vanderbilt defense. Hot take, he should honestly be in the Heisman race. Yeah, he, he's that's, fully That's legit. my hot take. He should, he should be out there with Caleb Williams. I fully, fully, fully agree with that. Jamon Dumas Johnson leading the Georgia Bulldogs in sacks, a linebacker, 16 solo tackles on the season, 18 total, two and a half sacks. Michael Williams, a defensive lineman, two sacks on the season. This Georgia team is the number one team in the country for a reason. Vanderbilt opened as a 31-point underdog. Seems kind of light to me, I'm not going to lie. Trevor, let's go ahead and get into it. You gave your key number one, right? Indeed, yes. Don't get hurt. Don't get hurt. My key number one, don't have any of your key guys get hurt as well. Trevor, what's your key number two? I, I, do we even want to call them keys? I don't even, because there's no keys key to, to the game. Keys to the game. Uh, to the game. Key, to the, the game. The, I mean, I don't know. 
contain, contain Brock Bowers? I don't, I don't know. That's like impossible to say. I just, I, I, I think he's going to run rampant on this defense. He's run rampant on every defense. He's going to run rampant on Vanderbilt's defense. Um, so I guess my key number two is, is I wrote this Georgia secondary is very talented. Um, probably one of the best ones in the nation. Um, I don't think you can have these dumb dump off plays and just play conservative because you're going to get 50 burger anyway and get shut out. So, you know what? You might as well just air the ball out and just at least make it fun. You know what I mean? So, like I said all the time, resistance is futile. At least open it up. You're going to get picked off. You're going to get cracked anyway. Open it up and at least give yourself a shot. Yeah, my key number two, Blake hit on it in segment one. I bet all of you know what my key number two is going to be. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Win the turnover battle, baby. Oh, my God. Win it. Win the turnover battle, baby. And then you might only get beat by 35. So that's my key number two. Win the turnover battle. They haven't done it yet. So, Trevor, what's your key number three? Also a very, not a similar key number three, but keys that we have had all year long. Uh, Throw Will Shepard the ball. Will Shepard, throw it to him 20 times this game. That's not a joke. Literally throw him the ball 20 times. That's my key number three. I like that. I didn't have any individual players in my key number three. This feels pointless to even say. Get pressure on the quarterback. Why why am I even saying it? It's not going to happen. Vanderbilt hasn't done it all year. Why in the hell would it start against Georgia? Carson Beck's only been sacked three times all year. He has not faced pressure. Send the house and make him complete passes. You're already going to get beat by 50. What does it matter if you get beat by 60? Send the house on defense and make Carson Beck make quick decisions. That is the only hope you have of stopping this Georgia offense. Carson Beck is the weak point of this Georgia team. There aren't many weak points, but he's an average quarterback, in my opinion. You disagree? No. I, I think on any other team, he's probably middle of the road. Yeah, I think he's an average quarterback with very superior talent around him, so make him be the focal point of this Georgia offense. I don't think that gets you a win, but I think that can create some turnovers that keep Vanderbilt not being embarrassed for a little bit longer throughout this game. Trevor, you want to get to predictions? Yeah. Um, we're not going to score in this game. It's going to be, uh, uh, what I say? I think I said like 56, nothing earlier. I really do believe that I'm going to lock it on the Zen. That's how much I believe it. Trevor has the prediction 56 to nothing. Vanderbilt <laughs> doors, 56 doors, to doors, nothing, baby. baby. It was always the door. It was always, it was always the, the revolution door. will be televised. Turn your TVs on CBS 11 PM or 11 AM. 11 PM. Time. Holy shit. Uh, yeah, my prediction's not too far off. I think the doors get in the end zone once, fifty-one to seven, Georgia. Locking it in on the Zen, fifty-one to seven's my prediction. Fifty-six to nothing is Trevor's, but that doesn't matter <laughs> because the boys will be out in lot two, locked and loaded, ready to rock, drinking man moses, eating some breakfast, and eating some other things, railing some cigarettes, baby. Oh. Let's go. We're ready to watch. If you sold your tickets to a Georgia fan, Bozo, Bozo, Bozo. stop listening to this podcast. Out yourself. Tell Out us yourself. now. I kind of get it, but also fuck you. I could never imagine a Georgia fan sitting in my seats. I'd rather die than let a Georgia fan sit in my spot. Never, ever, ever. Trevor, that's about all we've got. A majority of this episode is going to be one, the dude. first segment. That's about it. Thank you for listening to episode 242 of the Door Report.
powered by Corey Perkins of Parks Realty.